Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, we'll be covering episode four of Moon Knight, The Tomb. Before we get into that, the usual calls to action. Make sure you subscribe, give us a review. You can always contact us at needsomeintroduction at gmail.com. And do recommend this to your friends if you think they'd appreciate the conversation. This week's episode, a vast improvement, in my opinion, and Nick's as well, over the last episode. And we are approaching the finale. I really don't know what the end game is going to be which is part of what keeps me coming back for what's been a very uneven show. Also in the feed, we are covering Better Call Saul. And actually, Nick and I discuss the two most recent episodes, or the first two episodes of season six, which just dropped this week. Definitely check that out if you haven't already watched that. If you are just catching up on Better Call Saul now, if you're still behind, just a little PSA that Netflix now has the first five seasons, so very easy to to watch them there. And once you've caught up, Season six is, of course, in progress on, on AMC, so set your DVRs. Since the app only caches two episodes, I believe, so you, they will be dropping off the AMC app. And by the way, the AMC app is excruciating with the number of ads it has, so definitely DVR it if you plan to binge it in the future. That's my advice to you. Of course, we just wrapped up Severance. We picked up hundreds of a new listeners thanks to Severance. I hope you stick around for our other content and find something interesting in our backlog. Our severance recaps were very popular in the past. And of course, our first big hit here on our recaps show was Mare Town almost a year ago, almost exactly a year ago now. So I do hope you find things in our catalog to listen to that you enjoy. And upcoming, there are so many things. This month just keeps rolling out more new content. I will probably have to have a separate episode that I'll publish weekly where I'm just putting other things that I'm watching there, whether it be movies, but mostly TV. We have Shining Girls coming to Apple+. Plus. I have just caught up on Slow Horses on Apple+, Plus, and I recommend you binge it if you're going to watch it, because it is slow, but then it gets more interesting. And I will be recapping that next week, the finale of the entire season, so I'll probably have that in a separate episode, where I will also be watching Barry. Barry's back after two years, I believe. And a new horror show. I'm a fan of horror, so there is a new horror show on HBO. Pretty rare to have HBO have a horror series. So I am interested to see this, which is getting very good reviews, and it's called The Baby, which is paired up with Barry. So I think I'll probably just watch them back to back and then give you recaps there for those shows week to week. I have been watching on and off Tokyo Vice, which is wrapping up soon, and I'll probably be giving you a recap there in a separate episode. So yeah, the Better Call Saul episodes will go week to week, Sona and I. Moon Knight will be wrapping up in a couple of weeks. Additionally, all this new content coming out, which I'll probably put into a separate episode, and that will probably be coming out weekly as well. Okay, so with all that out of the way, The Tomb. This is the fourth episode of Tomb of Tomb Raider. I almost called it Tomb Raider, which is apropos, by the way, of Moon Knight. And I've had a very mixed experience with this show up until this point. Honestly, I don't know if I would have kept watching it. Maybe I would have just binged it at the end if I wasn't going week to week here. And I was going to break down how I would have told this story, and I think it might have been a little more successful, but I will wait. I will wait to give you my opinion of that until I have, we've gotten to the end of the series, because maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they have a plan for structuring the story this way. I will bite my tongue for now, but into the episode proper. As we saw at the end of last week, Kanshu has been entombed in stone. Steven slash Mark have lost their powers, and we pick up exactly at that moment. He's collapsed in the desert. Layla is trying to wake him up. There is a jeep approaching. She's dragging him through the sand. She's able to roll him down this hill, but she obviously can't just drag him across the sand. And she seeks refuge by their car. She's pretty resourceful here. These mercenaries, or whoever they are, whether they're mercenaries or allied with Harrow, 
they find Mark's body and they're looking for Layla. I mean, honestly, where else could she be? <laughs> She's got to be by the car, right? Uh, but she is able to grab some some flares. These flares come in very handy for her over the course of this episode, by the way. And she throws a flare into their ammunition on their truck and basically disposes of, of them that way when the ammunition detonates. Not sure that's how that would work, but okay, <laughs> I'll accept it for now. Steven wakes up and now they're on a road trip heading towards Amit's burial location, which they discovered in last week's episode, thanks to Kanchu. We continue the motif where Steven can communicate with Mark in reflections. In this case, it's the rearview mirror. It's pretty entertaining how they do this. Usually it's like a shot, reverse shot, but sometimes they're actually in frame here. So interesting way to tell the story. And they're having a little argument where Mark, the Mark persona, mentions to Steven that Steven had expected him to surrender the body, that Mark had had this conversation. And he even, Stephen being overly honest in, in this episode and maybe in general, tells Layla that, you know, once this was all done, Mark had said that he was willing to surrender the body to Stephen, to which she gets a little insulted, actually says, OK, well, I had no say in this matter. I mean, I am married to Mark. And they're like, oh, uh, yeah, I guess that would have been something I should have taken into consideration. <laughs> but they didn't. Layla and Steven have a nice moment here, and she goes in for the kiss. First, she actually goes in for a kiss. She's a little confused. She's cheating on her husband with someone who is another variation of her husband. Pretty weird stuff, but she does go in for a kiss. But Steven interrupts the kiss. He feels, once again, Mr. Honesty here. Decides to tell her that, actually, Mark may be a jerk, but he's actually trying to protect you from Kanchu because Kanchu wants you, Layla, to be his next avatar. This, if anything, is more attracting to her because she mentions that what she wants is not to be protected. What she wants is honesty. So it's interesting that she's getting honesty from Steven as opposed to getting protection, which is what she gets from Mark, right? So that's telling us something here. And I do wonder how this relationship is going to play out by the time this series ends. Maybe she'll be, you know, maybe they'll share the body, Steven, and maybe she gets to have a relationship with both of them. Hmm, interesting. Maybe that's every woman's fantasy, possibly. <laughs> Not sure. <laughs> Women reach out to me and tell me if that's the case. Would you like uh, the variations of your husband's personas to be available to you? You know, you get sick of one, hey, swap over to the other. He does get a kiss in, initiated by himself, by uh, Stephen, and Mark does punch him in the face for this kiss. So he does take partial control of his body there. Not sure if this would actually work. Not sure if this holds up in any psychological way. But once again, hey, this show is so bonkers in some of these setups. I, I'm not even thinking about that. Then we get a pretty fun stretch here in the show. This is the closest we get to not an Indiana Jones riff, which I was kind of hoping for. Would this be kind of a little play on Indiana Jones? We're definitely not getting that vibe. Not yet anyway. But we are definitely getting mummy vibes for sure. I'm not a huge fan of the mummy series, but there is a little nostalgia for that, obviously. And uh, they do have some fun here. Not only do we get some mummy action vibes, but we also get some horror vibes for sure. And there are these servants to the mummies. I don't know if it's a wizard or some kind of mummified servants who are killing and disemboweling Harrow's men. Not only do we have these grisly dismemberments, mostly off screen, by the way, but this is definitely not for young kids, as I've mentioned earlier. Some of the violence has been much more intense than we've seen in previous Marvel movies and series. But as she makes her escape, she has to cross this very narrow path, a pretty exciting sequence as the path is breaking beneath her feet. But more interestingly, there are these same mummified creatures reaching through the walls, these hands coming through the walls, trying to grab her as she's moving closer to the wall, which is legitimately creepy. And maybe the first time that there's been actual horror here on the series, but it is all pretty fun. We get almost like a little bit of an evil dead feel with her being pulled into the darkness. Speaking of evil dead, of course, they have Sam Raimi directing the new Doctor Strange film. So as I've mentioned in earlier episodes, interesting that there's going to be some 
play with the horror genre here in Marvel, at least in the, for the near term. Meanwhile, Stephen has found the tomb of Alexander the Great, still in control of the body since he is the historian, but communicating with Mark via some reflections in the water. Meanwhile, Harrow has caught up with Layla, but can't cross since the path has collapsed behind her, and starts to taunt her with the truth about what happened to her father. And as I speculated in a couple episodes ago, Mark was, I thought, responsible for the death of her father. And when she confronts him in the next scene, as Harrow hints out here, uh, hints at here, it's not that he actually killed her dad, which would have been even more problematic, to say the least. It turns out that he was there and that he tried to save her father's life. He was betrayed by the same person. And we still have not seen his origin story. Interestingly, I'm not sure when we're going to see that. I have to assume that's next week. And I'll give you my theory of next week's episode, which could be completely wrong, <laughs> but I'm going to put it out there anyway. So after being taunted by Harrow, he still has to find another way across the opening. She does run into Mark and starts to confront him with all of this. And that's where he lays out what happened the night of. He almost died. Her father did die. He tried to rescue the father. They were betrayed by the same person. They don't say who it is yet. And I honestly don't understand why the show is still playing peekaboo with some of these facts, considering how close we are to the end. But maybe, once again, I will reserve judgment. Maybe there is a grander plan. At that point, Harrow and his men do arrive. And that's when there's yet another confrontation between Harrow and Mark. Mark, now in control of the body, has taken control of the body to have the conversation with Layla about the night of the her father's murder. And then this is an interesting turn of events. Everything that happens here at the end. Obviously, Mark slash Stephen no longer have their healing armor. They've lost that at the end of last episode. And just as he's about to be apprehended by Harrow's men, he dispatches of most of them pretty quickly. But Harrow simply pulls out a gun, shoots him once, and then shoots him twice, dead center. And this looks like a kill shot. And he falls into the water that's surrounding Alexander de Great's sarcophagus. And then we have a surprising moment in the show, a very surprising moment in the show. He has a vision of being in a mental hospital. This is very 12 Monkeys, by the way, uh, if you haven't seen that film. One of Bruce Willis's best performances, by the way, so check that out if you haven't. And he is in a mental institution, and everything that we've seen in the show has kind of been recontextualized. He's watching a film, which apparently he watches repeatedly in this version of reality, and it is a very mummy-esque type of archaeological adventure. And we see that Layla is there, but she's another patient. And we see, for example, a cupcake, which maybe is the reference to the cupcake truck that we saw earlier in the uh, season. And we see this over and over again. It's very much like the opposite of the Kaiser Soze finale of The Usual Suspects, which I won't spoil here, but basically how you see that clues in the room are all tied into the story that we've been hearing. But rather than intentionally creating a story out of these images, theoretically, this would be unintentionally someone in the mental institution. Now, this could be a very fun idea to see whether he is mad or not, but it's been dispensed of almost immediately since he escapes from the interview with Harrow. Harrow is his psychiatrist here in this version of reality. And he ends up in a room with multiple sarcophagus and he sees one of them or hears one of them banging and moving. He opens it up and Mark jumps out. And now we actually have two Oscar Isaacs here having a conversation. And there are more here, by the way. So potentially, and this is something that Nick actually speculates on later in our conversation, that these might be his other personas here as well. Because we know, circling back to last week's episode, we know that there is at least one other persona because neither Mark nor Steven killed some of those people last week. So who was it? It's somebody else. Another persona of his that we have not yet met. And as the two of them are like, we need to make a break for it. You know, we don't have time to talk right now. We need to escape from here. ASAP, the two Oscar Isaacs go running down the hallway 
and a door opens up and we see a giant hippo-headed goddess. Friendly, very friendly goddess appears to be. And this is, by the way, Tawarit. Tawarit? I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but that is the god being represented here, the hippo-headed god of Egypt, which is a fertility god, I believe. And maybe she's here to resuscitate them. I'm not sure how this all works. And that's where we leave things. So it's a pretty funny punchline on this episode when they encounter this god and they scream, apparently. <laughs> They're just freaked out by this situation. And that's the end of the episode. So what did I think about all of this? I still have many qualms with just the, the tone of the show, like just the fact that you have an opportunity here to go in a little more psychological direction here at the end, and then they end it on this joke, basically. I still don't understand what tone they're going for on this show in general. So it, I am confused by this, and maybe that's my problem is I can't really get my bearings here. And maybe they won't make sense until the very end. And Nick actually says something later in this conversation that, that you're about to hear, I should say, that I think he is right on the money in that maybe the main problem with this show is that it wasn't all released at once. Because maybe all of this weird tonal shifts wouldn't be a problem in a film if we were watching it all the way through in one shot. Maybe there's it makes more sense by the time we get to the end. But going week to week, it feels confusing from one episode to the other. It seems like they're just introducing new characters, introducing new concepts of this mythology. We don't spend enough time with any of these characters, whether it be Layla or Steven or Mark or even Harrow or Kanshu. There's just so many moving parts and the mythology keeps getting more complex. And I just don't know. I just can't get my bearings on this show. I might be in the minority here. The show seems to be pretty well liked by fans. So maybe I'm wrong on this, or at least maybe my experience of it is different than the average viewer. But what I think is going to happen in the next episode, by the way, is we will continue here within the mental institution. We will probably be exposed to Mark's backstory. We'll finally see the origin of Moon Knight. And we will probably meet more of his personas. There will be some kind of powwow between the different personas. And maybe when they commune with each other, we kind of get to see the full picture of what's been being hidden one from the other. He obviously is not going to die. And theoretically... Kanshu's on ice, basically. So they don't have to go back and resuscitate Kanshu. I mean, as a matter of fact, Mark probably would prefer that, considering that it still threatens Layla's well-being. But they're probably going to need Kanshu because Amit, obviously, will be resuscitated since they did find what they needed in the tomb, Alexander the Great's tomb, to bring Amit back. And I'm sure that confrontation will happen towards the end of episode five and throughout episode six, I assume. And then where do they leave things? I don't know. I honestly don't know how they set things up for this character in the future. We haven't really seen that much of Moon Knight and his powers up until this point, actually. We've only seen him for a few minutes up until this point. So maybe he has a real kick-ass final episode. But it remains to be seen. But we are very close to the end. And given the fact there's only two more episodes and these episodes are pretty short, I will be watching through the end. And I'll try to reserve my final judgment until then. Okay, so now you'll hear my conversation with Nick. We discuss Better Call Saul. We discuss Severance, which he's finally finished watching. And of course, we discuss this episode and the previous episode of Moon Knight. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Nick, the first thing I had for you, I have many things to ask you, but the first thing I was curious to know is how far did you get with Severance so far? I finished. Oh, after, wow. after we spoke the last time I, I, I got through the whole thing, it's, it was unbelievable. What a, was, what, a, what a finale, right? Wow. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. And uh, you, you were on the edge of your seat. It and really I, can't, I can't imagine where the season's going to go next because, you know, you have to assume that they're going to be back inside like this same foursome, right? 
Yeah. But, uh, but would you let them work together? Would you let them keep working inside? I mean, think about all the things they know now. This is like very dangerous for Lumen, right? Exactly. Exactly. And uh, I mean, how about Heli, right? That was oh, yeah. unbelievable. Uh, I'm I'm really curious. To, you know, I can't I can't wait for the second season. But you were right. I mean, it started off. I mean, I was I was hooked early on. Yeah, me too. Uh, and I never felt like it was slow. And but it really did go off in a completely different direction uh, from what I uh, from what I expected. And uh, the ending was the ending was incredible. Yeah. You know? So it's 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 going to be great to see what um, what transpires in season two. All right. So then the second thing I'm going to ask you about, I'm going to ask you about, <laughs> this is going to be the agenda here. So I got, got that out of the way, severance out of the way. <laughs> we talked about the Mets before we recorded. So we got that out of the way. Yep. And uh, I'm going to ask you about what you thought of episode three of Moon Knight. Then we're going to do a deep dive on episode four. And then uh, at the end, I'm going to ask you about Better Call Saul, which I already posted my reaction to that which I just thought is great. I'll just get into that out of the way, but very curious to get your feedback on that too. All right. So episode three was a slog for me. So, you know, the first two episodes, I was optimistic and, and, you know, somewhat excited. I liked that it was contained within its own universe. I had, and I had mentioned this too, I had a tremendous amount of trouble getting through episode three of Moonlight. (laughs) I was you know, stopping it after 10 minutes and then I would go do something. And then, you know, the next day I'm like, Oh yeah, that's right. I have to get through moon night. And I'd watch another 10 minutes and, you know, turn it off. And so I was, I was really on the, on the border of just sort of like giving up on, on the series. And, and granted after two episodes that I kind of liked and I liked where it was going, it was just like the third episode. I'm like, Oh, again with this, you know, like, you know, and one thing that was bothering me and it's actually, it happened in episode four as well where is moon Knight? we never see mm-hmm. you know we never yeah. we, we hardly ever see this guy in yeah. action and it's like you know this is a superhero show i really don't i'm kind of getting sick of mark and steve and mm-hmm. you know let's let's get to some action here so the third episode i was really kind of uh eh, you know not feeling it you know one theory i had about it was very similar to falcon and the winter soldier i feel like this series as well as the Falcon and Winter Soldier would be more conducive to just releasing all six episodes at Mm -hmm. the same time, because not a lot of people know the backstory of Moon Knight. I certainly didn't, Uh, you know, not a very terribly popular character, you know, unlike Loki, which, you know, I constantly talk about, but, you know, Mm -hmm. unlike Loki, where you're just, you know, you're watching it, you're riveted from beginning to end of each episode and you just can't wait for the next week to see it. And kind of similar to Severance, actually. Mm -hmm. I know you want to get into the fourth episode a little bit deeper as well, but okay. So that cliffhanger kind of now has me interested in seeing what happens in episode five. So I'm going to be, you know, I'm a little bit more interested now in watching episode five. To follow up what you were saying, I felt the same way with episode three. I felt like it was a complete mess that they did very little storytelling. Mm-hmm. And uh, especially with the first episode, which I found very interesting, very intriguing, but really you know, I had issues with Steven as well. There are interesting things you can do where you have these kind of fragmented perspectives on these characters. And then in episode three, maybe the only interesting mystery they introduce there is that there's another persona that killed those people that they're, they're not aware of. And I guess the other cool twist actually there was in the final moments where he basically loses his powers. So yeah, those were interesting enough, you know, barely, like you said, to hook me into the next episode. But it did so little to move these characters forward characters that i honestly am not that interested in i mean the only uh, character i'm somewhat interested in is a uh, harrow you yeah. know he ha- he has the most interesting backstory but even that is just riding on um 
uh, Ethan Hawke's uh, charisma because the character is like totally underwritten. But I am curious to know, like, how did he get here? You know, he's obviously uh, been an avatar before. So there's some interesting things there with him. But, you know, like you said, with Mark and Steven, we don't know either one of them. We don't know about Mark's backstory. And Steven is just like a figment of his pers- uh, of his imagination. So it's like very hard to hang on to anybody here. And I think what you just said is actually really on the money that maybe this thing is like a movie script, like an origin story for this character, even though he already exists. It's almost like what we saw with the Spider-Man movie recently, mm-hmm. where it kind of has this whole film. And then at the end, it's basically an origin story. So maybe something like that would work. But to drag it on for six episodes, to be totally honest with you, the only reason I'm still like hanging in there, even after this episode, which I thought was much better, maybe the best of the four so far, is because it's only six episodes. Because if yeah. this was like 10 episodes, I would not be watching it all the way through to the end. <laughs> There's no way I would would hang in there. I, I completely agree with that. If, if, if you told me I had to watch six more of these, I'd be like... <laughs> Exactly. You know, Victor, I don't know if we're going to be able to <laughs> continue on with the podcast. <laughs> just, just get me when Severance season two comes out. No, but, but seriously though, um, I agree with you. If it, if it was 10 episodes, that would be way too much of a slog for this. Um, but you know, the funny thing about episode four, I agree with you. Definitely my favorite episode. And, and, uh, you know, the first uh, up, up until episode four, episode one was my favorite, but just, I like where they weren't, where they went with episode four, because, you know, again, it started off, I was rolling my eyes, but then when they started getting into a little bit of the mummy, yeah, you know, like little mummy stuff going on. Yeah, yeah, the mummy stuff, that was pretty cool. And some and of the then, horror stuff I thought was really yeah. good. Like when she, when those hands are coming through the wall and stuff and she's going across the wall, that was like legitimately something out of a horror movie. I thought that was pretty well done. Very cool. When they, you know, when they grab, when the, when the creatures or the, the, uh, I guess they're the, um, what, what, how did they, describe they mummies? I don't know what you'd call them, right? They were like sorcerers or something like that. <laughs> uh, but then after, you know, obviously after Mark slash Steven gets shot mm-hmm. yeah, and uh, it looks like he's dying, you know, it, it goes into this whole situation where he's in a, uh, a, mental, a mental institution. Yeah, which was actually and, very surprising. It's kind of enter- pretty entertaining, actually. Yeah, exactly. And it was funny because I was lying on, I was lying on the couch watching it and after he got shot and it, and it sort of starts fading to black, I actually thought I hit the, I thought I hit like my remote and I switched Switch to the to wrong episode. Yeah. And I'm like, what is this? And, and I'm watching, watching 12 monkeys. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm like, what's going on here? And um, so that was pretty wild. But one of the, one of the criticisms I have, and um, we were actually talking about this at work, it's not staying within the confines of the universe in which you've created. So yep, yep. this is a really good point that was brought up to me by my friend. The fact is that these mummy creatures, right? They're able to fend off these guys with, you know, automatic weapons. You know, they were killing some of Harrow's people and they had automatic weapons and machine guns and they're able to survive that. But somehow Mark slash Stevens able to kill one of them by dropping, you know, a, a wooden plank on one of them. And then Layla is able to kill another one by, you know, stuffing a, a, a flare in its face you know so it's like okay you know that's a little bit of a stretch there but we'll give you some artistic uh (laughs) liberty because those are the two main characters everything with the flares i have a problem with especially with the flares going into the ammunition just sets off all the ammunition i don't know about that yeah Uh, that was another thing too though when 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 uh, i think that was at the beginning of the episode she she runs down the hill and the guys chasing her can't find her 
Right. Like, dude, dude, she's behind the car. Like there's, there's where, nothing there. You're in the middle of the desert. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's, I get it. It's dark out, but you do have a light. Uh, for the most part though, very good episode. Uh, certainly my favorite of the series, although, you know, again, not a high bar to reach, but uh, it definitely has me interested in seeing where this is going for episode five. You know, now what is, what truly is the reality? Um, is it, you know, is he really in a mental institution or is this, you know, is he in a coma? So I assume there's going to be some amount of the next episode where, you know, he's trying to get out of this mental space he's in and maybe he gets to meet these other personas of his and they have some kind of counseling session with Harrow, which would be funny to see that whole thing play out. And I assume that's probably what we're going to see in the next episode. And then it'll go back into being more traditional and then there'll be some cliffhanger there. They're probably going to have to rescue Kanchu because he's the only one that's going to be able to face off with Amit. That's my guess. So what does this mean? Like maybe the last half of episode six, we see Moon Knight in full action. Like, didn't we wait, yeah. you know, six episodes to get half, a, half an episode of Moon Knight action, which is just a weird way to structure this whole show. Agreed. I mean, you could even, you know, based on the trailers, and again, you know, I don't really remember the trailers that much, but, you know, the trailers made it seem like it was going to be this action-packed uh, series where, you're, yeah. you know, you see this Moon Knight sort of Batman-type superhero fighting and for the most part you really i mean honestly in in four episodes i mean how much how much screen time has the moon knight persona had maybe an aggregate total of like i'm not even kidding you like three or four minutes right you know otherwise it's just it immediately cuts to you know post moon knight slash mark and you know you just see a bunch of dead guys on the ground right and steven going you know what's going on and now and i guess was episode three Mark going, who, you know, who did that? And, you, you know, you could actually in, in episode four, the, if you recall at the end, when they were walking through the mental institution, you know, the two personas or one of the personas, I can't remember, there was that third sarcophagus. So yeah. that's, you've got to think that that's the third personality. You know, I'm, I'm curious to see what happens with the, with the mental institution, you know, what's the real true reality here, maybe unfairly, but, you know, when you compare it to shows like, like Loki and WandaVision, you really couldn't wait for the next week because it was, you know, it was really sort of leaving it on a cliffhanger. And even, you know, WandaVision, you, you didn't sort of truly understand what was going on, what was the true story there. But I, I, I'm i sort of like, I put this in the same bucket with like a, with a, a Falcon and Winter Soldier where I could take it or leave it from week to week. Quite honestly, I don't care enough about this character. Right. You know, all the other Marvel shows, correct me if I'm wrong, all up to this point were based on characters we knew and grew to love in the movies. Right. And, you know, even when She-Hulk comes out, there's that tie into, you know, Mark Ruffalo and and, and the Hulk character. So right. I think there'll be a little bit more interest there. Well, you went um, to law school with her. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Sometimes I have cases against her. No. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree with that in general, that it's funny because there are certain shows that I watch on Netflix that for me, you really need to binge the whole thing to for it to be worthwhile. And sometimes it's not. Like I had a very negative review of a miniseries called Clickbait on Netflix, which was basically like clickbait. <laughs> as And it was very popular, by the way. I found out after the fact that it had been hugely popular, but I hated it. And it was basically something that has just like a little clickbait. It just has a little tantalizing thing at the end of each episode to get you to the next episode. And then, you know, there's no real payoff in that in that particular case. But at the same time, it keeps you there because, you know, it, it's designed to be that way, basically. And I think about something I just saw recently, like Reacher, 
where if that was going week to week, I would not have watched that all the way through because there just wasn't enough there in that show to watch on Amazon Prime that one was. But uh, because it was all available, it's like, you know, it's you're just interested enough to, to keep pushing the, the next play button. But I think for a show to like like Severance or something to really build week over week over week, and you see it with shows like Better Call Saul or with a lot of HBO shows, I think HBO is very good at doing this. It's almost like you need that week off. There's enough there, right? Like, you know, with Saul, for example, there's enough to think about over the course of the week that uh, you, you you think about it all week. You look forward to like that, you know, uh, when you get to find the next chapter of it, right? As opposed to this, like you're saying, where it's like kind of like, maybe I'll watch that. <laughs> yeah, no. Maybe, maybe I'll keep watching it. If there's nothing else on, maybe I'll watch it. And of no, course, unfortunately, nowadays, there's always something else on. Exactly. That's a, that's a really good point. I mean, I, I agree with you. Like even, you know, Breaking Bad and, uh, and Better Call Saul, uh, you know, you, you, you did need the week off to sort of process everything. And you'd actually, you know, I found myself when, you know, rather when Breaking Bad was in its run, I, I would go back, you know, I'd DVR him and, uh, you know, go back and, and, and watch him a couple times before the next episode, you know, rewatch it a few times because it was that good. Right. You know, Moon Knight's one of these where it's just like, oh, okay, you know, oh, it's Wednesday, well, you know, <laughs> watch it, yeah. you know, let's see what's going on. You know, I'm so happy that I had Severance actually to, yeah. to binge the while the beginning of this thing started. Um, yeah, you know, Severance, I'm, I'm actually, you know, the funny thing about that is I, I would totally, you know, in terms of when, when season two comes out, now I'm going to be like dying for, for the next episode uh, each week, but I was so happy that. I missed the entire run of it that I was able to binge the entire thing. Right. Within, like, right. Given the fact that I was like podcasting about it the whole entire time that, you know, as you're watching it and rewatching it for me anyway, for the show that, you know, then I do start seeing all these really clever clues that they're leaving out there as to, for example, the black paint under uh, Irv's nails is, uh, you know, he sees these visions of this, uh, you know, black ink oozing. So there's all these like clues that are there that you can think about, you know, and then of course they all pay off like very beautifully in, in the case of that show. You know, honestly, you know, maybe I'm not giving Moon Knight enough credit that maybe there is more to it than, than I look at, but I honestly look at it in a very cursory way. And I'm like, kind of say this happened, then that happened, then the next thing happened. And that's it. Now I wait till next week. I mean, these episodes could honestly be 30 minutes each or less. And it would yeah. be about the same as they are here. And they're not much longer than that, by the way. They're like 40 minutes each, so it's not even like they're extremely long episodes. Yeah, I, I, I've been pretty disappointed with it. And it's funny, I was thinking just today how I compare it to Loki, and Loki also is a very weird world. It's a story that's told, you know, a lot of the criticisms I make of this show. But as I was watching this show, I had a lot of the same critiques I would have of a Moon Knight in that this is a, a, so strange, and they're, they're really... Uh, and, and the structure of the show is so strange and, you know, and the stakes of the show are confusing from one episode to the other. So I have a lot of the same critiques I had of Moon Knight and they did pull it off in the end. But first of all, I do not think that Moon Knight is going to pull it off in the end. But second of all, even as I had these kind of structural issues with Loki, I kept watching it because I just loved the characters. I love Loki. Yeah. I loved Owen Wilson's character. I loved Sylvie. I like loved everyone, even the secondary, ter tertiary characters. I loved all of them, right? So it's like, and I'm not attached to any character in Moon Knight right now. I'm like really not interested in, you know, uh, <laughs> I don't really like Steven. I kind of like Mark, but I barely know anything about him. I like Harrow as a character, but I mean, I don't know anything about him either. It's like, you know, uh, he could die in the next episode. I could care less, <laughs> right? Because yeah, I just don't, no, it's not really vested in anything. Yep, that's a great point. I mean... Uh, I think we like Harold because it's Ethan Hawke. Like, you know, <laughs> right. if it was if it was another actor, an, an obscure actor that you know you'd never heard of before, I don't think you would even give it give it a second thought. Um, and and you, you're right, you wouldn't even care if you know 
that character gets killed off. I mean, honestly, I don't care if Mark and Steven get killed off. Like when <laughs> I mean, they shot some... him, I was like, oh, maybe the series is over and we're done. But then I was like, oh yeah, that's right. There's two more episodes. And then, and then he woke <laughs> right. up in a man, then he woke up in a mental institution. Unless Le- I mean Layla could end up being Moon Knight in, in the next one, right? But I but obviously I think you're absolutely right that we're actually going to spend that time in the mental institution where, you know, Harrow's gonna try to in however this thing is even happening, it's probably all happening inside his head. He's um trying to keep him there. And meanwhile, he's going to be like, you know, meeting with these other personas of his. So I think that's mostly what we're going to see in the next episode. But still, why is this thing called Moon Knight? <laughs> it would be yeah. almost better. It would be almost better if the whole thing happened and it was all this weird schizophrenic storyline that at the end, we, you know, he becomes Moon Knight, right? Like it makes more sense than being like, Moon Knight's there. <laughs> you'll, you'll never see yeah. him, but he's out there. He's doing stuff. He's just, you know, you just never meet him. Oh, speaking of just things that annoy me that, you know, just because you make the story more complicated than it needs to be in last week's episode where um uh, Kanshu gets the attention of the gods is first to create an eclipse and then to <laughs> rewind the sky i'm like there's not a subtler way to do that i mean like you're literally rewinding the sky and, and then i'm like well maybe this is just like an illusion of some kind but then we see people all over you know egypt <laughs> yeah. reacting to it i'm like like is everyone just gonna be casual about this like we we had an unexpected eclipse yesterday which is you know someone has moved the moon <laughs> yeah and uh, everybody's pretty casual about all this i guess you know they've had the uh you know uh, they've had the snap and they've had the invasion of new york so everyone's just jaded at this point yeah exactly like god oh, this is nothing we had you know half half the population was turned to dust five years ago so exactly so the moon's you know, in the wrong place it's yeah, no big deal no big deal we'll be all right it's very messy it's just such a messy i mean it's yeah. very strange and once again it goes back to the idea that i feel that this second uh, wave of phase or whatever they call it of the marvel universe so far I feel it's very messy, even, by the way, I know everybody loves Spider-Man and I love parts of it, but even that was very messy. I'm sorry. I mean, like, you know, they, they, that ending, you know, uh, we, we're not going to have a, we can have a whole digression on that, which we probably (laughs) should have because I rewatched it recently. I bribed my daughter. We were going on a date, me and my wife. And I said, she'd been wanting to watch the Spider-Man movie. And I thought it was a little too intense for her, but I'm like, you know what? You can watch the Spider-Man movie. So we bought it. So now I own it, but it was too intense for her, like I said. So she's only seven years old. So she only made halfway through it and then she kind of gave up on it. She likes the cartoons better. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I just rewatched it recently because now we own it. And that whole ending part where he's like, uh, you know, how did you know her? He says, I knew him through Spider Man. And uh, Happy's like, yeah, me too. So it's like, hold on a second. So you know her through Spider Man. Yeah. What is her association to Spider Man? And if Happy knows that she knows Spider Man, and then this guy also knows Spider-Man through her, then what? The... <laughs> yeah, okay, so it, even, it, if P- even if Peter's disappeared, does she know that she's re- he, so happy, theoretically knows that she's related to Spider-Man, but somehow she's for- he's forgotten who that person is. And now this guy, who kind of is about the same frame as Spider-Man, is standing right next to him. Wouldn't that raise a lot of questions? But I mean, it, that whole scene makes no sense to me at all. It's so confusing. That was my biggest, uh, not the scene, but that whole concept of everybody forgetting who Peter is was my biggest uh, issue with the movie. And it's and, and it's not a small issue. They would have been better served by just saying that everybody's going to forget that you, Peter Parker, Right. or spider-man right and and didn't, didn't somebody like you know at some point like upload mysterio's video to youtube and someone's yeah. gonna click the video and be like peter parker is spider-man and then it's just the cat's out of the bag all over again like what, yeah how does I, this work I don't like understand. did that get erased and and that right. and again right. this goes back to the whole 
that my biggest my biggest issue with any sci-fi sort of universe is when you start violating the rules that you've already established. Exactly. You gotta you gotta be true to your own rules, exactly. Exactly. And they 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 clearly established it in Endgame that it doesn't work that way. You can't go back in time. And I understand that this isn't the same thing, but it sort of is like, yeah, it's a spell, but you can't really reverse what's already happened. I guess they have that whole thing just so that he can have that sacrificing of himself because that is a very good ending that a his friends can't remember him anymore and b you know he he has at the same time he's kind of liberated now he gets to be your friendly neighborhood spider-man without all this complexity and i think that that's the ending they're trying to get to but it doesn't make any sense because he still can't be friendly neighborhood spider-man because even though that's where they leave the show i mean they leave the series everybody remembers if they don't remember him they still remember the avengers still remember that he was like in space with them <laughs> during the snap and everything and uh you know when they need somebody like they'll come looking for him basically right and then eventually when they're hanging out with him and he takes his mask off you know they may not know who peter parker is at this moment but they'll know who he is in like one movie from now so it just i don't even understand the purpose of having them all forget him in the first place it doesn't add that much to to the mythology uh, it was a mechanism to get the character to where he was in the comics when right. he was just uh, a poor kid that was working at the, uh, you know, at the bugle, uh, taking pictures, taking photographs, because, you know, there was never this interaction with Tony Stark and, and he had all this technology and stuff like that. So I think it was just, you know, what is it, a MacGuffin, right, to get him to to get him to really the starting point that he should have been at. But it, it, it really didn't make any sense uh, to do it that way. All right. Before we wrap up, one quick question I have for you, or maybe quick, maybe not so quick conversation is, so Better Call Saul, you, um, you're, you, you've been a fan. You've been a fan since Breaking Bad, I assume, from what, yes. what you were saying before, right? Yeah. So uh, my other co-host, Sona, has said, she's a lawyer also, and she has mentioned that this is the most realistic version of lawyering <laughs> that uh, on uh, television. Do you, do you agree with that? that this is, I uh, do. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, the personalities, you know, and uh, uh, I mean, not necessarily the Saul character himself. Uh, <laughs> right. I can't imagine that a lawyer. <laughs> I mean, believe me, there's there's a, a lot of uh, very strange, uh, strange individuals in the industry. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, Saul would Saul would certainly take the cake. But in terms of the uh, uh, ancillary characters, uh, including Kim, uh, yeah. Very, very similar to a number of personalities I've I've come across. And they really, uh, you know, the Howard character, uh, Maine as well, uh, both of those characters, very, very similar to the types of personalities you'd see in big law firms. And uh, likewise, with respect to uh, personalities you'll see in uh, the courthouse when, when it comes to public defenders and, and prosecutors. So, uh, no one quite likes Saul, though. Um, <laughs> but even uh, even his brother, I, I worked with. Believe it or not, I worked with somebody that was very similar. Not not right now. I don't presently work with anybody that's similar <laughs> to his brother. Extremely smart, but uh, somebody that you would you would want to like you know put through a wall because he was always trying to one up one up you and you know could never could never admit to being wrong so it, it is very realistic uh, even the young associate that works at the main office that used to drive jimmy crazy who was keeping track of his hours and and uh the work he was doing there's pers- there's people like that as well oh so i have a legal question for you i actually had two but i can only remember one of them and i know you don't practice in arizona so disclaimer for everybody <laughs> <laughs> but when jimmy confronts the prosecutor in episode one or is it episode two anyway i think it's episode two beginning of episode two of this season six he confronts her and she says we looked into de guzman's backstory and the family wasn't real the address wasn't real 
and uh, we want him. We want to have to have a special hearing, and we want to revoke his bond, and we want him back immediately. And uh, Saul basically says, "Hey, you know, this is prosecutorial misconduct, and you know, you guys have all these investigators. Don't come crying to me because you screwed up, and you know, yada yada yada." So, how does that all play out for you from your perspective as a lawyer? How do you think that that his his strategy, but also that whole scenario? Yeah, I think if that was uh, in reality, that wouldn't uh, that wouldn't fly. He'd be subject to uh, you know, if that's certainly unethical uh, behavior. Of course, that's Saul, you know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, he'd be subject to uh, uh, I'm certain uh, certain penalties and fines in terms of. Um, but they'd have to prove that he knew, right? That's the other. Well, part. yeah, they'd have to prove that he knew. Um, but uh, they could certainly revoke a bond, yeah, uh, and call him in and try to get uh, try to get Lalo back in. But uh, you know, he couldn't just say, "Well, that's you know, that's your fault. You know, you should have you should have done better investigative work." Um, but yeah, they'd have to prove that he knew it. But it would be hard. It would be hard for him to say that he didn't know it. And uh, you know, certainly, certainly highly unethical behavior. And uh, oh, know, of course, <laughs> subjected to uh, that's a given. That's a given. Probably disbarment again. Uh, he'd already been, I guess, disbarred once, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> or right. he was suspended. Right. Uh, so no, you'd you'd uh, you'd you'd be in uh, a lot of trouble for for doing something like that. But he, uh, did, he did call him Lalo, by the way. When yeah, he did. He yeah, perked up as soon as he said Lalo. So I think that's going to come back and bite him. Yeah. By the way, Lalo, uh, you know, it's funny. I didn't put two and two together. He was the. Um, oh yeah, he was in uh, yep. Hawkeye. Yep, the rich, uh, the rich boyfriend. That was so funny in Hawkeye that they, uh, you know, had him. Tony Dalton as the actor that they yep. had him there, and you know, right away you're like, he's the bad guy. He's the bad guy because you know we yep. all know Lalo, and then of and course Lalo, it turns out yeah. he's not. It was like a total head fake, you know. <laughs> Man, Lalo is. Uh, Holy, you know, what you a great character! Like, yeah. Oh, what an incredible character! The Salamanca family is excellent. Yeah. You know, I mean, from every single Salamanca, <laughs> the murder is, twins. Is, it's great. Yeah. You got the <laughs> twins. You've got, you know, you've got uh, Lalo, you've got um, the cousin. Hector. Yep. Hector Salamanca. And uh, yeah, it's it's just great. Very, very frightening <laughs> character. I feel oh, yeah. very bad for Nacho. How do you how do you feel just uh, given the, you know, are you, I mean, I'm I, I'm just going to I'm pretty sure you're going to agree with me, but I, I feel very confident with where they're going after these first two episodes. I don't know um, in terms of, you know, where the, where the show's going. I mean, obviously, you know, that they're going to, they're going to meet up with, with Walt and Jesse at some point during, during this season. Um, that's already been confirmed, uh, which makes sense because we're getting very, very close now to, uh, to the point where they meet up. And the, and the interesting thing also is, and I'm sure that Vince Gilligan didn't have this in mind when he wrote Breaking Bad, but uh, you know, when, when Walter and Jesse have uh, Saul in the desert, and I don't know if you've mentioned this, you know, he, he, and, and they have him at gunpoint mm -hmm. uh, and they're trying to intimidate him. He says it was Ignacio, yeah. you know, which is so funny that, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. so they're going to tie that. Um, and, and basically, you know, you know, uh, that, that scene to this, to, to what's going on right now in the series. And that, you know, maybe at that time, Saul thought that Walt and Jesse had him in the desert because uh, Nacho um, yeah. sold out Lalo. And he thought that maybe they were somehow connected to the Salamanca. So, that's, you know, it's just Vince Gogan's, you know, brilliant in terms of his writing. Um, obviously, at the time of Breaking Bad, he, he didn't have this whole backstory in mind. But uh, to tie the two together, and it was such a throwaway line, yep. um, he's created this entire uh, uh, arc, character arc now, based on that one line, at least I think, you know. Yep. Um, one thing I'm actually hoping that happens is that Nacho ends up getting out somehow yeah, and his sure. father ends up getting out. And I feel like Mike is, is there to sort of protect him. And, you know, maybe Nacho becomes the first guy that, the, that, that they call the, uh, 
uh, <laughs> the vacuum guy for, you know, yeah, yeah. and Robert nachos Forster. like living somewhere. And yeah, exactly. Robert For you know, maybe, maybe, uh, nachos living somewhere in Minnesota right now, working at a, <laughs> at a dairy queen or so, you know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> he so might be I'm, in the same mall. He might. Be yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I'm hoping nacho gets out. Um, I'm also really curious, you know, I think as everybody is, I'm yeah. really, really curious to see what happens to Saul character in Omaha and also, you know, Where's Kim. Kim? Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't think everybody thinks Kim's going to die. I don't no, think so because don't think so. It, it would be too devastating to yeah. Jimmy slash Saul. And, you know, if you remember him from Breaking Bad, which I'm sure everybody does, he was very carefree. Right. So there's no way that Kim Wexler is going to, going to be killed. The only thing I can possibly see is that um, she's, she's also on the lamb yeah. and somehow uh, they meet up. Uh, in his Omaha, you know, in, in that Omaha storyline, um, which which I'm assuming they're going to have a time jump, uh, you know, in the second half of the yep. season. I totally agree. Yep. Uh, so, you know, Kim, I think a lot of people are assuming she dies, but there's no way because yeah. it would it would just devastate the character. Yeah, I, I agree with everything I, you just said specifically. You know, I've had the same thought about Kim. I'm like, she can't die <clears throat> for the exact same reasons you said. Saul would have been like a very haunted character in Breaking Bad or at some point, you know, we don't know his personal life, but I can imagine that, you know, until the end, like you said, he's very carefree and having a good time. And even when he's like, hey, you know, the checks come due, guys. I am packing up my stuff and I'm like yep. disappearing into the wind. He does not seem like somebody who, you know, is terrified because he found Kim dead at home or something. He's exactly. a guy who's just like, I'm executing my exit strategy, guys. I'm just out of here, right? So he, he like you said, it, I don't think that that makes any sense. That That's not a, someone who just lost this person who he loves deeply. You know, either he's alienated her with his becoming so corrupt or vice versa. You know, you see how he's a little intimidated by her at the yeah. end of the second episode. So maybe she gets too, you know, cutthroat in her and alienates him, but she's definitely not dead. I think she's they're just apart. And maybe, like you said, maybe they have a plan. Maybe he's like, see you in a year or something once things cool down, you know? So maybe yeah. there's, there's some exit strategy they, they both came together with and that might be how things end up. And the second thing I totally agree with that you said is I'm pretty sure there's going to be a time jump between the first half and second half of the season because you see all the opulence he was living in. And I mm -hmm. can't imagine where we are now going week to week. And then like, what, like five weeks from now, he has a $15 million house. Like, I, I think we need a time, a uh, larval version of Paul, of uh, Saul. Yeah, and, no, no, don't question. And then, no and then question. Becoming, becoming the, you know, opulent, probably getting 10% of, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of um drug sales uh, version of himself uh, in, in the future. You know, the fact that Walt and Jesse are going to be in it, um, you know, we don't know how much, maybe just one episode kind of like Hank was with, um, uh, you know, last season, right. uh, but you're going to probably see Walt and Jesse interacting with him uh, during the height of the Heisenberg era. Right. Uh, so you're going to have, you know, you're going to have some time jumps there and some of those time jumps are going to be taking place during the, during the course of the Breaking Bad series. Right. And uh, we're going to see new interactions uh between the characters it's not just going to be like oh you know that's walter white you're going to see um uh you know a wrap-up of uh i think eventually the the entire storyline uh in 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 omaha or whatever happens after because he's been yep. made if you recall yep he was made at the beginning of season five right we're right. in season six now yep. so that first episode in season five that cab driver who i'm not so certain was a cab driver how he like tracked him down at the mall and then mm -hmm you know, came up to him, like, why would you, why would you care? Right. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see what, um, what happens with that. There's um, also a cliffhanger there, by the way. Yeah. I, I honestly thought that we were going to see at the beginning of this episode of this season, I should say, 
and maybe it'll be at the beginning of the second half of this season. We were going to pick it up there because he, you know, he calls Robert For- Forster. Yep. It's right before Robert Forster passed away, unfortunately. But he called him up and said to him, um, he's thinking about, you know, doing another change. Mm-hmm. And then he goes, hold on, wait a second. I'm going to handle this on my own. So he comes up with an alternate. And I was like, yeah. oh, I want to see how he's going to handle this, which I was very curious to know because, you know, he doesn't have that many means in this current circumstance. And, uh, but we didn't, we didn't pick up there at all. We picked up seeing, uh, his, uh, you know, opulent mansion being emptied out. Do you think those are movers or do you think those are police? That's I think movers, that, right? I think it was, uh, I think it was police. Okay. That's my, that's, that was my take on it, that they were seizing its property. Right. Right. Cause I was thinking that that's, what's weird about it because it didn't seem to be uniform that way. Although I did read it the same way, but I'm like, yeah. if these are, if this, if it is just moving, then where's he taking all this stuff, you know, yeah, <laughs> like maybe yeah. he's just, you know, hoard, you know, putting it away somewhere. Maybe it's under someone else's name or something, but uh, I guess it's under Saul Goodman's name, right? So Jimmy McGill is two different people potentially. Yeah. But yeah, I, when I first read it, I'm like, that might be police, but they didn't seem to be taking any kind of precautions or anything. So I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, it could be just like, like it could be movers, but it could be a seizure, right? So it's not, not that it is evidence, but it's being seized by the government or something like that. Right. So yeah, yeah, it. it um, I, I took it to be a seizure, but you have a good point. It might, it might just be movers. You know, um, the assumption was it was a seizure because you know what, you know, you know what happens to the character. Right. But um, yeah, it's uh, now you know that that show is. Uh, I mean, you know, you compare that then to to Moon Knight, right? You see how like <laughs> two Knight, yeah, two shows are written so differently, and and uh, you know, one show is just. Uh, it's uh you're you're on the edge of your seat and you really really like all of the characters you know yeah. you know i mean nacho is not a great guy right but you you yeah. kind of feel bad for the guy because he got just put in a situation where he was in a no-win situation he was made by frank for um basically trying to kill hector yep. and uh you know had him hostage because they were going to hurt his father and um, you know, and then Mike, right? Mike's Mike's not a yep. great guy either, but at the same time, he's there and he's like, no, you're not going to do that to his father because Mike knows that he's not, you know, the guy's not in the game and he has nothing to do with it. So characters are so well written. And I have yep. to tell you, I mean, I don't know about you, but I I actually think I like Better Call Saul better than Breaking Bad, which which yep. which to me is crazy because I consider Breaking Bad one of the two best shows that's ever been on TV. That and The Wire yeah. are probably my two favorite shows of all time. I agree. Um, but I would say, put Better Call Saul right up there now with them. Um, yeah, I, I would say I still think Breaking Bad wins for me just because the highs of that show are so memorable, some of those real tense moments. I think that run from season four through the end was so incredible. And also because the ending I thought was so great. So it really depends. I think if Better Call Saul, it's batting average, I think, is better than Breaking Bad's. And I mm-hmm. think if they really kill it in the second half of the season or something, you know, I, I think about what you said, like, regularly when I watch that show. I'm like, is this in the end? Am I going to be like, this is the better show? I wouldn't be surprised. Vince Gilligan, really, um, he, he's such an incredible writer. And, and, the, and the whole concept of uh, just the way, again, the way that they have it written and, and uh, uh, you know, tied together into that universe, it's, it's done very, very carefully. Sona and I, we recorded last week, we had like kind of a preview for the season and we didn't actually go and break down the whole, I did try to break down what happened in the first four seasons, episode, the first four seasons of uh, Saul. So anybody who's listening to this, if you want to go back and check that out, that published just about probably 10 days ago at this point. And, uh, but I think we were trying to get into, you know, what happened in season five and just kind of things that led up to the current moment. But more importantly than that was in taking my notes for that episode, 
I started thinking about something very interesting, which is true in Breaking Bad as well, but that how specifically in Better Call Saul, how it's so interesting that how you say you have these interest, these characters that you, uh, you know, they're not good guys, but you sympathize with them. And I think that's what's so important that the show in a lot of ways is about how everybody makes these compromises. So everybody's making these compromises and they're getting deeper and deeper into this. You know, they can't undo these mis choices they've made. And we know we see even Mike, you know, with the killing his um, mm -hmm. uh, his son's uh, assassins and, um, you know, everybody's choices, you know, Gus trying to get that revenge. And then with him trying to sweeten his revenge a little bit that we know that him letting um, Hector survive is what eventually going to kill him. Right. So these yep. are all these things that we know that are eventually going to pay off in Breaking Bad even. But it's also the fact that, um, you know, you think about everybody making these compromises, you know, like uh, Nacho, this is the work mm -hmm. he can get. And then he's, you know, he, he's obviously, he's not living that high on the hog actually. And he's always thinking about trying to save his dad. And his dad, of course, wants to live a different kind of honorable life, which mm -hmm. threatens their both of their lives. So all of that's very fascinating. I think that's what makes you sympathize with these characters because you sympathize. Like, for example, I sympathize with Chuck and I sympathize with Saul in yeah. that situation between the two of them, which is so tragic. The, the people that are the real villains in this show and also in Breaking Bad are the people who are not aware that they are criminals basically yeah. right like yeah. the kettlemans the kettlemans who keep like saying like they didn't do anything wrong like those people are like the true villains of the show and there's no sympathy for them at all right but everybody exactly. else like they, you know lalo for example who gives money to that old lady and says make sure everybody gets their fair share like lalo is not made a one-dimensional monster he has no. his own humanity right and everybody gets their humanity unless you are completely unaware of like, for example, Saul is a sympathetic character because he knows he's an asshole, but he's yep. surrounded by people who supposedly are honorable people, but they're all the real assholes, right? That's why he hates Howard so much, right? Because Howard yep. is on the straight and narrow. He's not a bad guy. He's never probably committed any kind of crime, but he's uh, unaware of what a douchebag he is. Exactly. And Saul can't stand it, right? So. Exactly, exactly. You know, it's funny, uh, in both shows, there are no real characters that are true I guess, with, for lack of a better term, true to heart or, tr or, or truly good outside of, if you really think about it, Gomez and Hank. And Hank's kind of a jerk, obviously. <laughs> but if you think about it, though, he is not a bad person. He doesn't right. really do anything that's, he doesn't break bad. Right. And that's what ultimately gets him killed. And uh, and, and likewise, Gomez, they're, they're on the straight and narrow. Uh, but for the most part, I, I can't think of any other character. I guess Howard, maybe, but Howard also sort of broke bad in Saul when he, you know, he, he did do things to Jimmy, you know, hurt Jimmy by not letting him uh, get a job at, right. at, at his firm, you know, so there, there, there are very, very few characters that don't in some way, shape or form break bad. And likewise, on the other side, there's very few characters that are quote unquote bad that are truly bad. Uh, the only ones that really come to mind are the Cattlemen's obviously uh, Tuco, who's a complete and utter psychopath, <laughs> who I think is in jail right now, right? right, um, right. In, in the um, uh, in the storyline. But outside of those characters and, and, and certainly Gus Fring, I can't really think of too many that at some point in either show are in a gray area. Right. And that's what, and you know, that's what makes, I think the show so good that the, the characters really are that complex. All right, cool. So we will be watching uh, Saul yep. and we will be, you know, watching. I, I, I can't wait for Moon Knight to be over. Not, not for all the good reasons. <laughs> <laughs> I do hope that, you know, I'm wrong about it and it does pay off here at the end, but, but we'll see. Probably be able to watch Batman next week too. And, uh, you know, if we want to do a little bit more Saul, I'm, I'm down with that.
We could talk. Uh, we will have to probably talk um, Doctor Strange in a couple weeks. When oh, yeah. Starts. Yeah. No, we're checking that out. And then I cannot wait for Thor. I'm looking forward to Thor. Yeah. I, you, you know, know. I, I have I've heard the buzz about the trailer, but I I, I refuse to watch trailers because they they always spoil everything. Don't watch the trailer. Yeah. I kind of I'm kind of upset that I watched it. It sort of spoiled part of the movie for me. Good talking with you. Yeah. So we'll we'll uh, let's hook up for uh, uh, after episode five. Yep. Sounds good. All right, Victor. Take care, man. All right. Take care. I'll talk to you. All right.